Okay, here we go. We are in a series called Back to the Future, and we're talking about how important it is that we deal with things that happened in our yesterday so that our future can be much better. Um, I, I really, really, really want to get to a part in the series where I start talking about your future and, and start filling you with faith over things that are going to happen in your tomorrows. But I don't feel it's time yet because I feel like there's some of us that still have things we need to conquer, things we need to deal with, things we need to recognize that happened in the past and ask God to heal those things so that then when we talk about the future, your heart is ready to receive it and you step out in faith and do things you never thought you would, but it's because you got all that bad stuff out of your heart. So that's the goal of the series. And I'm going to be easy on you today, I think. Today in part four, we're going to talk about let go. Let go. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, let go and let God. and let God. That's right. But if you don't let go, you won't be letting God do anything. We got to learn how to let go of the people that offended us yesterday. We have to learn how to let go of the mistakes we made last week and also in 1987. We have to learn how to let go of the people that are in your life right now that are pulling you down. So many times we want to hold on to everything and anything that comes our way. But there's times in life where God wants to prune you. There's times in life where God wants to prune some of the friendships you've had. Now you're saved. Now you're serving God. And there's people you've been friends with for 20 years. And every time you talk to them, they're pulling you down. They're not driving you toward your destiny. They're driving you in reverse. They're not the same people that you're not the same person you used to be. You got to let it go, let it go, and let it go. Uh, Philippians 3.13, Paul said this, I focus all my energy on one thing, and that is this, to forget what lies in the past and to press forward to what lies ahead. Now, that word forget, it does not mean to wipe your memory. Um, remember Men in Black, they had that little flashy thing. I wish that we could wipe the memory of all the bad things that have happened. Wouldn't that be really great? And I thought about that, but I feel like God said to me, some of those bad things that happened in the past, that's why you are who you are today and where you are today. So wiping those things out, you might have to redo them to learn the lesson. Those, those that negative things, they taught you something. You're able to teach your kids things and help other people. So the word forget here comes from a Greek word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it, epilenthanomai. I don't think that's right, but it doesn't matter. It means to let go. It comes from two words, epi meaning to place something. And then Lanthano, meaning to be unaware of where you placed it. In other words, Paul's saying, I strive to take the things from the past that I no longer need, and I strive to place them somewhere in my mind and in my heart where I'm unaware, where I don't think about it when I wake up in the morning, where I don't talk about it when I'm in short group, where I don't dwell on it before I go to bed at night. Uh, last week, my wife, Micah, she epilanthano my her bank card. You know, everybody's got a debit card, right? If you asked her if she had a debit card, she'd say, well, of course I do. She'd tell you what color it is, her name's on it, what bank it's with, and then you say, well, where is it? And she'll say, I don't know. I placed it somewhere where I'm unaware. She can no longer see it. She can no longer think about it. She's going to forget about it one day because it's somewhere where she forgot where she put it. I've heard, I'm sure you've heard it said, um, the reason that your windshield of your car is so big and your rear view mirror is so small is because your future and where you're going is much more important than where you've been. And too many people get in wrecks in life because they're always focused on the rear view mirror. Where God wants to take you is much more significant than what you've already gone through in life. You have to learn how to keep looking through the big windshield on the front. Um, psychiatrists tell us that we have two main file systems in our memory. 
And these two file systems, they're located in different parts of our brain. They're not in the same place. One file system is all of the good things that happen to us in our life. The victories, the accomplishments, the, the miracles, things God did. The things that you think about that bring joy. And then the other file system is the exact opposite. It's located somewhere else in our mind, and it's all the negative things. All the mistakes that we made, all the people that hurt us, all the bad things that happened in life. And do you know that scientists tell us file number two takes up much more space in our mind than file number one? And when I read that, I thought, well, of course it does. We're born into sin. We live in a fallen world. So knowing that it is our human nature to always remember the bad, we have to be ready and on guard to get rid of that stuff and fill up file number one on a regular basis. The example they gave, which I thought was so funny, is that you remember the person, the time, the place where somebody stole $20 from you, but you forget all the times in life that somebody gave you $20. Is that true for y'all? Like, I can leave a meeting, and I, and I, can, I could have said 99% of good stuff. All night long, I think about the one thing wrong that I said. The only, you know, I preach on 50 sermons a year, 50 times a year. I'm writing content, and, and I think that's kind of the easy part. The hard part is delivering it in a certain order so you remember, so you're convicted, you know, all that stuff. Very difficult. Out of the 50 sermons, I personally think that 49 of them are pretty darn good. I enjoy the sermon. I enjoy writing them. I enjoy communicating them. But I don't remember the 49 sermons. You know, the one I remember is the one sermon that bombed. One out of every 50, there's usually some baby screaming in the background the whole time. Somebody coughing up a lung on the front row. You know, I remember in, in 2011, I was preaching at a, at a storefront and um, in Sacristy, a little church. And in 2011, that's 12 years ago, I preached a sermon called Make a Difference. And man, I could, t I could tell you the whole sermon. I could preach all three points right now. I could tell you the scriptures. It was about how if we obey God in little areas, it can affect the whole world. And I was so excited about the sermon. And there was this one guy who had just gotten saved. And he was on fire for Jesus. And he would sit on the front row and he would amen me all during the sermon. And I just knew, man, this guy's going to love this message. As soon as I sat them down after the faith confessions and started the sermon, immediately he did this. <laughs> and nobody woke him up. And he was getting louder and louder. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to kind of be animated to try to wake him up. So I'd be like, Jesus loves you and, and you can make a difference in the world. That guy didn't wake up for nothing. At the end of the sermon, as soon as I said amen, he did this. And woke right up like everything was fine. Now... To this day, I remember that entire sermon because it bombed. <laughs> I don't remember a single other message I preached in 2011 except for that one sermon. We got to learn how to let things go. And you know, some sermons I preach because it's directly out of the Bible and it's wisdom from God. And then other times, like today, I'll preach a sermon because it's directly out of the Bible, it's wisdom from God, but I've also experienced it in life. And so with everything inside of me, I beg of you over the next 25 minutes to think and pray and meditate on the thing that God wants you to let go. Because once you are willing to let go of it, and don't pick it back up after you let go, once you're willing to let go, I promise you, from experience, you'll feel the sense of, of lightheartedness. You'll have a freedom and you'll leave this building today much more, um, you'll leave this building having lost a lot of weight. Let me say that. Y'all are going to leave. Y'all going to be sweating to the oldies in a little bit and leave this place.
feeling better. Okay, three points for you. Number one is this. We gotta let go of disappointments. Now, a disappointment is mainly something that happened because of somebody else. They, they, they did something, they, they, they said something, they somehow, um, their, their choices affected you and now you're full of disappointments. Isaiah 43, 18, there's that word again, forget. Place it somewhere where you are unaware, where you don't see it all the time. Think about it. Forget what happened yesterday. Don't cling to the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch, here's why. I'm going to do something new in your life. God cannot do the new if you're still holding on to the old. And I know us Christians, we are really good at trying to manipulate God. We are so good at trying to hold on to the old and still ask God to give us the new. We got to first let go of that if he's going to do the new thing in our life. Um, John Wesley, who uh, started the Methodist movement, 1700s, uh, millions if not billions of people are saved in heaven, serving God because of John Wesley. Great minister, uh, Charles Wesley, his brother, great writer. And in the 1700s, one of the most famous diaries of, of our time today is John Wesley's diary from 300 something years ago. And so I want to read for you an excerpt out of John Wesley's diary from just one month of his life, okay? This guy's trying to learn how to preach and he just wants to help people. He just wants to get people saved. And this is from his diary, okay? Um, Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to return. That's okay. He let it go. We're good. Sunday night, May 5th, preached in St. John's, Deacon said, get out and stay out. We're okay. He's going to let it go. Let it go. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. <laughs> Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said, I cannot return. Let it go, John. We're doing good. Sunday night, May 19th, preached on street, kicked off of street. <laughs> Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in Meadow. Chased out of meadow because bull was turned loose during service. Now, I don't like it when a baby cries during church. Imagine someone, you know, that's just a bunch of bull. But anyway, and so, but listen, he keeps letting it go. He keeps letting it go. And, and the reason some of you, the reason you're anointing and some of the gifts God's given you isn't where it needs to be is because there's things in your heart like bitterness, envy, resentment, anger from something that happened yesterday. If you'll let it go, I promise you your anointing will grow and you'll be able to help more people. So, Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. He let it go. Sunday night, June 2nd, preached in a pastor. 10,000 people came to hear me. 10,000 people. Thank God he let it go. Thank God he let it go. Or he'd still, if he was still worried about the disappointments, he would have stayed down. He wouldn't have kept getting back up. Forgetting disappointments frees up room for your destiny. Forgetting disappointments, it frees up room for what God wants to do in your life. And when I think of John Wesley, I think of Joseph in the Bible. In Genesis uh, chapter 37, God gave Joseph a dream. And in the dream God gave him, he was going to be in such a position of leadership and authority that his own family was going to bow down to him one day. I've had that dream several times in my life, and I've yet to see it happen. And my brother hates it when I say that. But anyway, in Genesis 37, 5, I'm joking, I've never had that dream. When Joseph told his brothers his dream, they hated him. In verse 28, the brothers took Joseph's coat of many colors. Remember that. That's important. The coat his dad gave him. And they sold their brother as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. Talk about a disappointment in life. Do you know that your destiny involves going through disappointments? 
So if you think it's some kind of a horrible accident, how could this happen to me? God knows exactly what you were going to go through before you went through it. And he still wrote a good plan for your life. If you'll let it go like Joseph learned to do and serve God right where you're at. When I say let it go, I mean don't let it stop you from, from joining a church, serving God, giving, forgiving, being kind to people. Some of you are being held back by the negative things inside of your heart. Let it go. So Joseph's in, in, as a slave, he's doing his best. He said, you know, God, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be fruitful where I'm at. And in Genesis 39, 4, his master made him supervisor of his house and put him in charge of everything he owned. Do you see how God, you might be down, but God can bring you right back up. If you'll, if you'll serve him, honor him, no matter what's going on in life. Well, Joseph went back down. It's like a roller coaster. In verse 12, his master's wife grabbed Joseph by his coat. Now, let's just notice he got another coat. He's about to lose that one too. You ever have one of those kids, you got to write their initials in the tag behind their coat because they leave it everywhere. I bet God had to do that with Joseph. Put, put his name in there. And, and she said, lie with me. And Joseph ran outside, leaving his coat behind. That's the second coat he lost. So she told her husband, he tried to lie with me. So Joseph's master put him in prison. Man, he was down, right? His dad gives him a great coat. He's up. He's down because his brother sell him into slavery. He gets promoted as a slave, so he's back up. And now they're lied about him, and he's going to jail, and he's back down. What did Joseph do? Did he let this disappointment stay in his heart? Did he say, forget God. I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm not going to use my gifts for you. No, he let it go. In verse 22, the warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of the entire prison, and the Lord made Joseph prosper. Here's the important thing I want you to see. It's the Lord that makes us prosper. So if you're not prospering, it's not the devil's fault. If you're not prospering, it is not the fault of the people who have caused the disappointments in your life. If you're not prospering, you might need to look in the mirror and take ownership and saying, God, am I serving you with my whole heart right where I'm at in spite of everything that's happened in my life? If you're not, there's a good chance it, it, it's, it's totally you. So Joseph um, was in prison. And Pharaoh had a dream. This guy was in charge of the whole nation and no one could interpret the dream, but God gave it to who? Joseph. He gave it to Joseph. Now, if Joseph's heart was filled with bitterness, envy, anger, God wouldn't be able to use that gift and talent to be able to interpret dreams. So verse 40 says this, Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of the whole country. Now watch this. Pharaoh put a royal robe on him. I want you to see that because I believe with all of my heart, when they stole Joseph's coat of many colors, he had this thought. Man, I'm never going to get a coat like that. Man, this, this showed how much my dad loved me and I lost that. I am so disappointed, but he let it go. Then he got a coat that showed he was in charge of an entire household, a whole big piece of property. And he thought, man, this coat's better than the other one. I like this one. And then he lost that one. And I'm sure he thought, man, I'm never going to get something like that again. And then sure enough, Pharaoh puts a royal robe on him that says, you're in charge of the whole country. Here's the point. If God allowed a coat to be taken from you in your past, it means, and it only means, he has a better coat for you in your future. But you have to be willing to let it go. Let go of the person that stole your coat. Let go of the coat itself. When it was all said and done, Joseph got married and had kids. In verse 51, he had two sons, Manasseh, which means to forget, and Ephraim, which means double prosperity. You will never give birth to an Ephraim unless you first give birth to Manasseh. If you want the double prosperity card to be played in your life, if you want God to bless you. And, so, and listen, Joseph didn't forget what happened. God just blessed him so much, he didn't think about it anymore. 
And if you want that to happen to you, you got to let go right where you're at. And then God will bring the double prosperity. And if I could, I'm not trying to prophesy, but I think there's some of y'all here today. Listen, to, if you will do this, there will come a time in your life where when you wake up in the morning, you won't think about the pain. There will come a day in your life if you will serve God with your whole heart right where you're at. There will come a day where when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you think about is how much prosperity God's brought in your life. How, how blessed you are. But you got to be willing to let go. Uh, before I get to point number two, let me tell you a quick story I, I read about this. Uh, this young lady, her and her fiance, they were going to meet his parents for the first time ever. They already got engaged. And so she was really excited and nervous. They traveled a long way, you know, went all upstate to go see his parents. And his parents were known for being uh, very rude and being you know, the highfalutin, you know, judgmental and, um, you know, put their nose up at everybody. And they were, they were not easily impressed at all. They're very picky people. And so the girl, though, she loved her fiance and she wanted to impress his parents. So she went and she, did, she looked as nice as she could, got her hair fixed, makeup, wore the perfect outfit. They finally pull up at the house. They're right on time to go in. And when her fiance, when he leans over to give her a kiss in the car, there was a can of Coca-Cola and he actually spilled it all over her pants leg and down to her shoe. She was so upset. She thought, I cannot believe this. This is the worst time. I need to go home and change. He said, honey, we can't. We're going to be late. Just wipe it off. Let it go. It'll be okay. She thought, oh my goodness. And her pants were black, so you couldn't really see the stain, but they were wet. She's trying to wipe it. She said, okay, okay, we'll go in, we'll go in. So they go inside. They visit for several hours. The, the mom and dad, they're very, very kind to her. Um, but the family had this little family dog. It was like 15 years old, this old dog. And the whole time she was there at the house, this dog followed her around. If she went in the kitchen, the dog followed her to the kitchen. When she sat down at the dining room table, the dog sat right there at her feet. She went into the living room, the dog followed her there. Just as kind of, They were best friends for like three hours. When the night was finally ending, uh, the mom said to her, said, honey, we've had a lot of people come to our house over the years, but nobody has ever, um, the, our dog, our family dog has never liked anybody who has ever come to our house except for you. And she whispered in her ear, she said, there must be something real special about you. She had no idea the dog just loved the smell of Coke. <laughs> point is, is God will even use our disappointments to help us with our destiny. That's how good he is. Okay, point number two is this, closed doors. Closed doors. These, if, if disappointments are caused by other people, closed doors is something God does. And when God closes a door, you should never, ever, 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 ever emotionally with your flesh, with your lust, you should never try to put your foot in the door to stop it from closing. Let God close the door. In Genesis 7, 16, Noah obeyed God. He did just what God wanted. And here's what God did. God closed the door. God closed it. Now, Noah could have closed it, but Noah's emotions would have gotten involved. Maybe I want these people to join us. God said, no, these people are not supposed to be in your life. I am closing the door to these people. So funny, Genesis 8, 6 says, Noah opened up a window. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? Now, metaphorically speaking, God closes the door. We'll sneak them in through our window, you know? There are some people and some things and some situations in life that God has slammed the door shut. Don't try to open it up. Don't put a question mark where God has put a period. If God has put a period, stop asking, wondering why. Just let the door close. Because if you let the door close, I promise you, a new door will open up. But some of y'all want to look through that new door while you got your foot in the old door like this. That's not how it works. you got to trust God by letting the door stay closed. In, in 1881, 
James Garfield was elected the 20th president of the United States. Six months into office, somebody shot him in the back. The doctors saved his life and they did a really good job with him. He was doing great. But in those days, they thought if you didn't remove the bullet, it would end up killing you. So they opened up the president. They did another surgery. They probed all on his body, trying to find the bullet. Couldn't find it. They sewed him back up. Then they got Alexander Graham Bell to develop this electrical device that they thought would somehow find the bullet. So they opened him back up again, and the device didn't work. It was unsuccessful. They closed him back up. Two months later, President Garfield died. He did not die, they discovered, from the bullet wound. He died because they kept opening the wound back up over and over again. There are some things in life, once it's closed, keep it closed. If you probe around, if you open it up, if you try to get in there, it'll just ruin things. Leave the door closed. In 1 Samuel 10.1, Samuel anointed Saul as ruler over Israel. Now, uh, Israel was being governed by a theocracy. They were being led by God, but they wanted an earthly king. They wanted a person they could see. So God said, okay. So they went from a theocracy to a monarchy. And God said, okay, Saul will be the first king. But Samuel the prophet got to choose him, got to anoint him. So Samuel was so excited. This is his number one responsibility in life is to pour into this relationship. To train Saul, and Saul started off young and shy, but Samuel put him under his wing, and, and he made him a successful king. Taught him how to hear from God, taught him how to lead people. They spent day in and day out together. Samuel was like a father to Saul. Unfortunately, Saul got so powerful that he also got prideful, and he thought he didn't need God anymore. So in 1 Samuel 15, 10, the Lord said, Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. He has turned away from me. Samuel grieved over Saul and cried all night. Can you imagine how Samuel felt when God closed that door? God, I spent years pouring into this person, years pouring into this investment, this company, this group of people. My life was dedicated to this. Now because of them, you closed the door? I didn't do anything wrong. I was doing my best and the door's been shut in my face. What am I going to do, God? In 1 Samuel 16, 1, God said, Samuel, how long will you mourn or mope? That implies that there's a certain time where God says, now it's too much. And it's different with every individual in every different situation. But there's a time where God says, okay, it's time to get up, open up the blinds, leave your house, serve God, do something good for somebody, stop moping around. If you'll fill your horn with oil, I'll send you to the house of Jesse. I've chosen one of his sons to be the next king. Now, the word oil there represents the Holy Spirit. And I believe God is saying this. Don't go from one Saul to the next Saul. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to that next person. In other words, if you met that one guy in the bar drunk, don't go to the next guy in the bar drunk and be him. Learn from what happened and let the Holy Spirit move you to somebody that's going to be a good person in your life. Samuel could have said, you know what, God, I just can't do it. I'm too hurt and, and it just all this pain on the inside. I just want to sit here and do nothing. And God would say, okay, Samuel, you can stay there. You can mope around all you want to, but you're going to miss King David. And let me tell you about David. He's a giant slayer. He's a man after my own heart. He'll be the greatest king to ever reign over Israel. You want to keep moping around Saul or you want to let that door close and watch me open up a new and better door in your life? Man, some of y'all are still dating Saul's in your life. Get rid of the Saul and, let, and, and you know, the door's open, it's closed, it's open, it's closed. Leave it closed and go find the David that God has for you. 
Jonah 1-2 says this, the Lord told Jonah uh, to go to Nineveh. But Jonah boarded a ship and went in the opposite direction. But the Lord, watch this, the Lord sent a storm. A powerful storm that threatened to break the ship. Now there's sometimes we have a storm because the devil attacking us. And there's sometimes we have a storm because we're doing the opposite of what God wants. And it bothers the junk out of me when people email me and call me and tell me all their problems. And every single problem they blame on somebody else. Could it be that you're going in the opposite direction? Could it be that you're with somebody, you're doing something that God's been trying to slam that door shut? And God loves you so much, he's not going to just let you do it. He's going to send a storm to try to get your attention. Some of the storms in life come because of our own personal mistakes and the fact that we're just not repenting and we're not asking forgiveness and we're not changing. Now, here's the cool thing. Verse 15 says this. Remember, there was more people on the ship that God's about to tear up. The crew of the ship picked Jonah up and they threw him into the sea and the storm stopped at once. Now, sometimes there's a storm because you're doing wrong. Sometimes there's a storm in your life because you're with the wrong people. You know, all those people on that ship were affected because Jonah had done the wrong thing. And the best thing they could do was throw that boy off the ship. Um, I'm going to teach you a word, but before I show you the word, it's a, it's a, um, it's a Greek word. And this is where you're really going to get offended at me. And I'm really nervous, but I don't care. Okay, so um, there's a Greek word. Before I show you the Greek word, I'm going to tell you what it means. Because once you see this Greek word, it'll be the only Greek word you remember for the rest of your life. Okay? And um, it's in the Bible 17 to 23 times, depending on the translation. Let me tell you what it means. I can't even look at y'all while I say this. But anyway, it, it's referring to a bad business deal. Someone who does not do good at business. Okay? Um, let's say that you have a million dollar Rembrandt, a painting in your possession, and somebody comes along and they offer you a thousand dollars cash for your million dollar Rembrandt. And you pray and you say, Lord, if it's you, I want you to open the door. And if, it, if it's not supposed to be out, God, I want you to close the door. Okay. What do you think God's going to do in that situation for you? Open or close it? Close it. Because you have a million dollar Rembrandt and somebody's offering you a thousand dollars. You, you want God, do you want God to open that door and let it happen? Yes or no? No, you want God to close it. Y'all are nervous because you don't know what I'm going to say. You're scared to answer. That's okay. <laughs> I know the feeling. Let's say that you have a million dollars cash and you really want a Ford Focus. Okay. And you see a Ford Focus. You're like, I want that. And they say, okay, well, give me your million dollars and I'll give you my Ford Focus. Now, and you pray, Lord, if it's you, I want you to leave the door open. And if it's not of you, I want you to close the door. What do you want God to do in that situation? Y'all are getting better now. Okay, okay, okay. The Greek word is the word porny, P-O-R-N-I. And in English, the word is whore, W-H-O-R-E. There are male bad business deals and there are female bad business deals. If you are giving away the most valuable part of who you are, it better be to somebody who's willing to lay down their life for you, put a ring on your finger and stand before God and say, it's me and you forever. Otherwise, you're a really big, bad business dealer. <laughs> and God has been trying to close that door over and over and over again, because if you let God close that door, he'll give you a better business deal in your future. He'll send you somebody who'll spend two to three months salary on an engagement ring, put a wedding band on and stand before God and say, faithful as long as we both shall live, we are together until death do us part. Then you give away the most valuable part of yourself and that's a good business deal. Right. 
But some of you are doing bad business deals in life and you wonder why are things going the way they are. God's sending a storm to try to close that door in your life. The best thing you can do is pick up that bad business dealer, give him a kiss, goodbye, and throw him off the ship. Don't even send them a life preserver either, okay? If God wants to get that person's attention, God will send a whale to swallow them up. Well, what, well, what if they're supposed to be in my life? Then God will cause that whale to spit them up right in the middle of Myrtle Beach when you're out there tanning and looking for shark's teeth, whatever you're doing. If it's not supposed to be in your life, God will spit them up in Little River somewhere. That's where you let them need to end up. It's a bad business deal. you got to recognize, is this a door God's trying to open? He's trying to close it. Because the person's taking advantage of you and you're giving away a billion dollars for a Ford Focus. Not a good deal. And if you drive a Ford Focus, I'm so upset that I chose to use that as, a, as the, to represent this Greek word. Okay, point number three is this. What's dead? You need to let go of what's dead. I'm nervous for the 11 o'clock service. Don't tell them what I'm going to teach today, okay? What's dead? These are things in life you absolutely cannot change. And I'm not referring to a person that has died, although I am going to read a scripture and I'll, I'll use that as a metaphor. But uh, these are things in life, no matter what, no matter how hard you pray, beg, plead, ask, it is completely done. It's over. It's dead. And if you hold on to it, it's going to kill you as well. Second Samuel 12, 15, David's child was very sick. So he prayed and fasted all day and night. And on the seventh day, his little baby died. Something very unusual happened after his baby died, so much so that his servants were questioning him. In verse 21, his servant said to him, while your child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you got up, watch this, you washed, you worshiped the Lord, and you ate food. How is that? And David said the most full of wisdom, amazing. Now that he's dead, there's nothing I can do. There's not a single thing I can do. I can't bring him back. I'll go to him when I die, but he's not going to be able to return to me. This is a door that's never going to be open. No matter what I do, it's over. It's done. I have to get up, serve. And yes, it hurts. Yes, there's pain, but I can't let it stop me from worshiping the Lord, from doing what I know I'm supposed to do in life. Um, about 15 years ago or so, I had this, um, this thing in my possession. It was like a maybe eight inches by 12 inches or whatever. And somebody gave it to me years before. And um, I really loved the gift a lot. In fact, I would look at it on a regular basis and it would bring me great joy, just so much joy. And I just, it meant so much to me. That person ended up um, hurting me in, in the most incredible way you could imagine. And from that point on, every time I looked at this thing, it didn't bring joy, it brought anger. And it brought depression and it, and it you know, just really made me sad. And this was maybe 15 years ago or so. And so one day I heard God speak to me. And when I say God speaks to me, I don't mean I hear an audible voice. You know, James Earl Jones is in the background. I don't mean that. I mean that it's, it's like an impression in my mind because I know the word of God. And I know his character. So I know the way God thinks. And I know the way he speaks. So it's, it's just a, something in my heart. My mind. And he said, I need to let it go. Get rid of it. And I said, well, God, I, I did. I let the person go and, you know, it's done. He said, no, no, you need to get rid of that thing that you keep looking at that's in your house. And so um, I thought, okay, okay. So I was going to throw it away in the, in the trash can in the kitchen, but then I know myself, I'd go back and take it out of that trash can two hours later, you know. So I was walking outside to take it in the outside, you know, the nasty trash can, you know, and I heard God say, you need to burn it. And I thought, you know, I like setting things on fire, so this will be exciting. <laughs> so... I went in the backyard to the fire pit and, um, and I set it on fire. As soon as I set it on fire, 
I felt this huge um, um, regret. Like, no, no, maybe this wasn't God, you know, fires in hell. Maybe that was the devil telling me to do this, you know. And, and, and I, I was looking, I kept wanting to put my hand in the fire and pull that thing out. That's how, I'm, I'm incredibly sentimental. I'm an incredible, I keep everything everybody gives me. And um, I just watched it burn. And when it finally got down to the last piece of ash, I felt this huge sense of relief. I remember while it was burning, I was like, God, what if you restore this? What if you fix it? And it's like God said, I'll give you a better coat. You think that thing's cool? I'll give you something. If this is the plan, if the plan is to actually make this dead thing come alive, man, it'll be way better than what you're holding in your hands. And so I burnt, I didn't just burn it, man. I had a funeral for it. I prayed for it. I cremated it. You know, I, did it. I buried it. As soon as it was ashes, I just felt so much lighter. You know, it was two months after that day that God called me to pastor and called me to preach. I would have never had those thoughts with all, I don't believe at all, had I not let that thing go. Amen. It's really funny. That same week, there was a guy that I was discipling in life, and we went to lunch, and he was telling me about how he's so upset because his ex-wife got remarried, and he thought maybe they'd get back together one day, and he kept her wedding dress, and he kept all this sentimental stuff, and he wanted her to wear it again and all this. And um, he said his whole house was... <laughs> It's not funny. He said that his whole house was filled with pictures of his wedding and all this stuff. And so I kind of told him my story. And I said, well, you know, I had this thing in my possession. And I said, I let it go. I just let it go. And I said, I actually, you know, burned it or whatever. He said, okay, okay. About three or four days later, it was the weekend. And he said, oh, will you come to my house and say a prayer? I'm going to let some things go. I said, sure, man, I'll come. So I went to his house and he, he wasn't answering the front door. And he called me around back. I thought I was going to see like, you know, maybe a bag or two of, of trash or something. I went in the backyard and as soon as I got back there, he smiled at me and he lit a match and he threw it on the ground and there was five foot by probably 20 foot of stuff. There was bedroom furniture that they had had he was burning. There was this huge piece of wood that had this girl's name engraved on it, his ex-wife. There was, there was the wedding dress was on fire by me and all the wedding pictures, all these pictures, he didn't take them out of the frames, he was burning them with the glass. So you heard glass popping, you know. You couldn't walk in his backyard for like a year without shoes on after that. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm doing just what you said. I'm burning all this stuff. I said, I didn't say do that. I mean, it was huge. Somebody from the neighborhood called the fire department. The fire department showed up. And can you imagine these firemen walking in the backyard and seeing two guys just like this with a wedding dress burning, a girl's name burning, you know, pictures of this woman wearing a wedding dress all over the place. They said, what are y'all doing? My friend said so innocently, so innocently. He said, my friend here told me I need to just burn all this stuff and get rid of it. I said, I didn't say that. Isaiah 61.3 says this, God wants to give you beauty for your ashes. And you know, ashes represent something that was alive, but it's not anymore. An exchange has to take place. I know us, I know y'all. We want so bad to hold on just to a little bit of the ashes and try to get some beauty. So I kind of thought about it like this. If you hold on to 90% of the ashes, you're only going to get 10% of beauty in your life. I, I believe it's something like that. If you let go of 50%, you get 50%. But if you will let go and give God all of the ashes, man, the beauty that he has in your life. And you know the, the Greek word I taught you earlier, the, the porny that means whore or whatever. There's actually a word for God's grace that's very close for that in Greek that means promiscuous. It means that God's looking to bless you and do good things for you. Talk about a bad business deal. Man, he wants ashes for our beauty. That's how good he is. You can give him ashes and he'll bring beauty into your life. 
Uh, last story, I'll let you go. Man, I'm running late today, I'm sorry. There was a mountain climber, true story. In a remote part of Utah, he was hiking through a canyon. He was all alone, and all of a sudden, this 800-pound boulder shifted, and his arm got trapped. He was so scared. He's screaming for help. Nobody's around. I mean, he, no one can hear him. He didn't know what to do. So the first day, he pulled out his pocket knife and tried to you know, chip away at the boulder to somehow loosen his arm. It didn't work. By day two, he got his, his climbing equipment with his other hand. He's trying to somehow, you know, put something over the rock and get a rope and, and nothing budged, nothing. Day three, day four, scared to death. Day five, by day five, he realized his arm was completely dead. There's no blood flowing to it. It's cold. It's stiff. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He thought in his mind, I'm going to die with this dead arm attached to me. Kept screaming for help. Nobody was around. At the end of day five, he did the unthinkable. He realized the only way I'm going to survive is to cut off my arm. He pulled out his pocket knife and he amputated his own arm. He walked for two miles until he finally got help. And today he's doing great and everything's fine. Here's the point. Um, in life, we all come to these places where it's just dead. We don't understand it. We don't like it. It's not fair. We're questioning God. Why did you let this happen? We're not hearing anything. It's dead. Now you can either keep holding on to it and let it kill you. Or as painful as it is, as difficult as it is, and trust me, it's extremely difficult. You can cut it off. Finally feel a sense of relief and start to heal in life. I promise you, that's the option you need to choose. Ecclesiastes 3.6, there's a time to get and a time to lose. There's a time to hold and there's a time to let go. Amen. Um, let go of the disappointments. Let go of the closed doors and let go of what's dead. And I promise God will bring beauty into your future. Amen. 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 Okay, let's go to the